has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then, when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptised for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptised for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day, yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Polly. Gosh, that's powerful stuff, isn't it? Even uh, Jesus is going to be under God himself. The one that we look to, the one that we worship, even he goes back under the Father. So today we reach the middle of chapter 15. Um, I've not been here, so I'm not 100% certain what um, Steve's been preaching on, but it is the same passage, I'm sure it's... Normally when I look at myself and Steve's um, Bible passages, we we both preach... I know we're preaching the same passage but we, we we more or less have the same things to say but we just say it in a different way i think that's the strength of us both we we both uh, we're both totally totally different but um I, I do believe we complement each other you know in many ways so up to now we've established two vital truths first of all that jesus is risen from the dead verse 1 to 11 in corinthians 15 and that if he hasn't risen from the dead well you're not going to rise from the dead either which makes christianity a complete waste of time, if that were the case. That's 12 to 19, what we did last week. I checked last week, actually. I went on to uh, verse 20 because I couldn't believe it. That I wouldn't have been asleep if I'd have told everybody that they weren't going to make it. But 20 gives us that hope back. So in this next paragraph, Paul makes the same argument, but he makes it a little bit more positively in a way that's brought hope to billions of grieving, suffering Christians over two millennium and continues to give that hope because Christ has indeed risen from the dead. Praise God for that. And because Christ is risen, 
Paul also tells us that we're, we too are going to be risen people. The resurrection of Jesus was the moment when the one true God appointed the man through whom the whole cosmos will be brought back into a proper order. It was a very dark time at the time of Christ just before. We, we know that. We, we read Nehemiah and, uh, and Ezra as people started to come back. Two, three thousand years of turmoil in, in, in many ways. Um, I personally feel I don't think we're far from that ourselves today. When, when we turn as news on and see what's going on in the world, it's, uh, it's quite dark out there. But probably no different to the rest of history. Human beings had got into this mess. And it's a human being which would get us out of it. The story of Genesis 1 to 3 is a strange, arting tale of a wonderful world spoiled by the rebellion of man. We know that man is made in the image of God. And this must have been what was in Paul's mind, I believe, when he started to write this long chapter, or this letter. <clears throat> but Paul's more important concern is with the job that the Messiah had been given to do. This passage is near to the heart of, God's, of uh, Paul's understanding of Jesus, of God, and of the history with our world. It's near the heart of what Jesus himself spent in his short three years of ministry talking about. It's about the coming of God's kingdom. God's kingdom was that many Jews of Paul's day longed for. And we're right to assume that Paul grew up longing for that kingdom too. God's people imagined that God will become king over the whole world, restoring Israel to glory and raising all the righteous dead to share in this new, coming new world. And quite how this would all happen, wasn't that pretty clear, really? It, um, I, I don't even think Paul was totally convinced how it were all going to happen, but I think much through prayer and discernment, um, it did become clear to Paul because God really was God. There were no doubt about that. And the resurrection of Jesus had been revealed to Paul, though not all the way he had imagined. To make this point, Paul pictures Christ in verse 20 tells us the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. First fruit, as the name implies, were the first part of the crop of wheat, olive, grapes or whatever um, that would emerge every year and were given as an offering to God. But they were also celebrated because they served as a guarantee that after the first fruit, the rest of the crop was coming. For Christmas, I bought a scarlet, uh, my daughter, I bought her a bonsai kit. It's bonsai, grow your own bonsai tree, it says. And uh, scarlet, to be honest, she was a lot more enthusiastic than I thought she were going to be. I thought it'd be just one of these presents, like, oh, thanks, Dad, that's it. But no, she were really, she were really, she really embraced this bonsai, quite pleased very surprised. Scarlett read the instructions fully and did as the instructions told her to do. And for weeks she kept getting up every morning, seeing how bonsai trees were doing uh, and nothing. Just soil, nothing nothing there at all. Every morning, come downstairs, look on the windowsill. It seemed to be taking forever. Uh, and I think the, eventually the novelty of it all did actually start to, to wear off. But one day Scarlett did come down and she saw this little shoot pushing out through the soil, and she was really excited. She, she even brought, Dad, Dad, look at this, come and look at me, bonsai tree. To be honest, I think it got a little bit out of control with her. Bonsai, to be able to almost give the whole church a new one. 
And the old point is, after this, after this little shoot had come up, all of a sudden, bonsai, we, we've got an army of bonsai trees. I, I could give you all a bonsai tree each. We've got that many bonsai trees in, in, in our house. But, and, and that's the point, isn't it? You know, this first bonsai, which Scarlett waited and waited and waited for, and then all of a sudden, this little shoot, and then all the rest of them pop up as well. The first blossom, the rest will follow shortly. Christ's resurrection, Paul says, is like this. Maybe not quite like my bonsai. He sets an offering, he sets it aside, the uh, sanctified firstborn from among the dead. But he is also the guarantee that all people will be resurrected as well. Because he bursts forth into life, we know that certain say that in a matter of time, all people are going to do the same. All people will be resurrected. And this is a central logic at work here. All of us are united to a central head, whether it's Adam, not you. Through our shared humanity or Christ, through our faith in him. Verse 21 to 22 states, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But everything happens in order. Christ rises first as the first, first fruit. And then when he comes, those who belong to him. Christ first, resurrected, we will be resurrected. Scarlet's first shoot, then the rest of the shoot. Since the last resurrection, we've been in a state of waiting. And, and the present age in which we live today is still that period of waiting. Although we don't wait with doubt and concern, I'd like to think we, we wait with, with certainty and with expectation. It's almost like a farmer who's gathered his first fruits who waits for the rest of the crop to come. Or Scarlet, again, who waits for the first shoot and then the rest of the shoots pop up. We too wait for our own resurrection. Have you ever seen a flash of lightning and then uh, counted for thunder? We, we, you, know, you do it, you know, one, two, it's three mile away. And it, it's a little bit like that. It's that anticipation of waiting to see what's going to happen. Christ has been raised, which ensures that we too will be raised as well. But we're in this waiting period. Verse 24 tells us, then, then the end will come. When all who belong to Christ have been raised from the dead, Jesus will finally hand over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. This way is not easy. It's not easy. Good news from the Bible. But God never ever told us it was going to be easy. God likes to challenge every one of us. We all know that by how our, our lives pan out. Life's, it's not all hunky-dory. If life's going well, you think something's got to happen. There's something around the corner. And we've only got to look at our world this morning. And this moment in time. Although every moment in time, like I've already said, has its ups and downs and problems. But currently, we've just started to come out of the other side of this major pandemic that's affected everyone, every one of us, in many, many different ways. We've got war in Ukraine. Vladimir Putin, like many dictators and leaders, again, which we've seen throughout history. We're facing world crisis as we face energy issues, especially the price hike on fuel, like we've never seen before. 
You know, I remember in the 70s when we had power cuts and that, but I'd, I mean, I'm probably a little bit too young, but I don't remember price being as, as, it, as it is now and the, the fact that it could go again in, uh, in autumn time. The world climate continues to lose the balance as we tear down the lungs of the earth. The cost of living has escalated. I went for a loaf the day. I couldn't believe it. £1.85 for a loaf. Can you believe that? God. I'm going to shop at Lidl. People forced into whether... I think somebody, somebody, I think we went out with the night. Somebody they said eat or heating. And, and it's right, isn't it? You know, people, including ourselves, could be forced into that. You know, money's going to become that scarce in some households or none even. You know, are people going to be able to feed themselves? Are people going to be able to keep themselves warm? Many, many problems in the UK and across the globe. It really makes you think. And I tied all this in with waiting for our resurrection because resurrection can be hard. It can be a testing time, especially for those who are already suffering. But you know, Paul knew this better than anybody. But there's a reason for this delay. We're waiting not just for our own resurrection, but as, as it tells us in his reading this morning, we're waiting for all dominions, all authorities and powers that oppose the reign of Christ to be destroyed. Demons, emperors, philosophies and idols. Verse 25 tells us, He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And at this time, this is not complete, but it's certain that the reading goes on to explain the last enemy to be destroyed is death. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. At the centre of this story is the point which remains central to all Jewish and Christian thinking, spiritually, spirituality and hope. Death is the enemy. Death is the enemy. And this is blindingly obvious to anyone who has recently been bereaved you know a little strange because i find many people to be kind and often try and soften a blow of bereavement pretending that death doesn't really matter that much which is a piece of blasphemous nonsense i believe to say that death is anything other than an enemy is to deny the goodness the beauty and the power of god's good creation and the point of the resurrection is that it is the defeat of death that was the old point Christ went to cross. It's not just a way of saying that death isn't so bad after all. And it's certainly a way of saying after death we go into some other realm, perhaps called heaven. Notice how Paul never mentions heaven in his passages. The only thing Paul says here about where people are after they die is that they belong to the Messiah. They belong to the Messiah. Verse 18 has spoken of people who had fallen asleep in the Messiah. Resurrection isn't the immediate future for those who die. It's what happens at that following moment. The moment when Jesus reappears as king. That's what his royal arrival refers to. Picking up the language of the emperor, coming back to Rome after being away. At the final moment, death itself will be conquered. And since death is the unmaking of God's creation, resurrection will be its remaking that and nothing less is the Christian hope. Paul and you and I can be certain of our salvation and our future victory over death. 
Even though we're still waiting for all the things to be put under Christ's feet, we can sleep the sleep of the saved and the thankful. In the final two verses of this section, to avoid misunderstanding, Paul actually clarifies what he means by everything, everything being under Christ's feet. Everything, he explains, does not include God the Father. And that, sh- that should be obvious in, from our reading. Verse 20, 27 sell, tells us, For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it's clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. Let's continue, just with verse 28. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him, who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. In other words, once the cleanup operation is completed, Jesus will be subject again to the Father and not the other way around. Paul makes this point to address the possible confusion of his subjective language. Not to imply that that this is the first time that the Son has bowed down to the Father. Ultimately, God will be all in all. The Father will be all in all. Verse 29 and 34 gives us another two reasons why it makes no sense for the Corinthians to abandon their belief in the future resurrection. Don't forget the letter to the Corinthians. The first seems a little bizarre. Paul is not approving the practice of baptising people for the dead. It took me a while to get my head around this. But rather taking something that the Corinthians are known to be doing and pointing out that it makes no sense if there is no resurrection. If the dead are not raised and bodies simply remain in the ground, then baptising people on behalf is clearly ridiculous, which means the Corinthians are not even being consistent with their own practices. We shouldn't baptise people on behalf of the dead and neither should we abandon our hope in the future resurrection. The second argument is, a more, is, is more about Paul than the Corinthians Again, verse 30 says, Why do we endanger ourselves every hour? Spending my life in danger, Paul says, constantly facing the threat of death and continually fighting battles against false teachers and pagan rulers who are trying to destroy the church. Don't forget, Paul's in prison at this point. He talks about the wild beasts in Ephesus, and not a literal animal, which Paul, as a a Roman citizen, would have been subjected to, but either false teachers, wolves, trying to destroy the sheep, or the beasts or pagan empires oppressing God's people. We get that from Daniel, the book of Daniel. But if the dead are not raised, Paul continues, why would I bother? Why would I bother? If there is no resurrection and all we have are human hopes, then we should all just eat and drink because tomorrow... We will be dead. Paul concludes with a more direct challenge, using Corinth as he has before. Not to be deceived, he writes, bad company corrupts good character. We can probably all relate to that in some way. This hard phrase summarises much of what's going on in Corinthian, uh, Corinthian, uh, Corinth. Sorry. World habits, values and practising are entering the church culturally sexually, legally, liturgically and theologically. And even within the congregation there are some who are still ignorant of God to the shame of the church. A little mold spreads through cheese or bad friends corrupt good character. The Corinthians need to come back to their senses and stop sinning 
As we've already seen, and as Paul continues to teach at more length in the in next letter in 2 Corinthians, Paul explains that it may mean separating from certain sorts of people, but that's got to be better than losing the hope of the resurrection. To believe that God raises the dead is a tremendous encouragement to endure suffering and even physical affliction. The fact that Paul understood this enables him to bear up in a time of great physical pressure. As Paul puts it metaphorically, he says, fought with beasts at Ephesus. It was almost like going into the arena to fight wild battles. I don't think he actually did that because he was a Roman citizen. Paul wouldn't have been in the arena. He wouldn't have fought gladiators. But it's a symbolic way that this is what he went through. And he says the hope of the resurrection suffered him. Paul continued to suffer, but the hope of the resurrection strengthened him. So I want to ask you this morning, are you perhaps wearing out your life a little bit in some obscure corner? Do you think you will never be heard of? That nobody will ever know the punishment that you have to take? What's going on in your life? What's dark areas in your life? And believe me, we all have them. Every one of us. I have them. Because this passage gives us hope. We have, we'll have no fear, Paul says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. The resurrection is ample recompense for all human suffering, no matter, no matter how bad it may be. Paul closes the section with an appeal to let the hope of the resurrection determine your lifestyle. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That was the philosophy of the time, and it's still widespread today. Live it up. Get everything now. Don't bother with giving yourself and wasting your time doing things for God. Enjoy yourself. Spend all the free time you have. Fun and pleasure. Don't come to church on a Sunday morning. We can do other things. Let's go shopping. Woo. <laughs> but he says, and I want, to, I want to use the RSV translation, not the NIV, which we've had this morning. The RSV says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Come to your right mind, that is, be realistic and sin no more. For some have no knowledge of God, I say this to your shame. What was happening in Corinth, I find, is happening in the UK today and across, the, across our planet. Many people give their lives to live it up, to live it up philosophy, instead of making themselves available to spread the word of truth. Instead of giving themselves to the Spirit of God to be used in ways that would plant seeds of righteousness and love and truth in areas where people are really hurting and suffering. You do that well in this church, you, 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 resource centre. That's, that's God in action. That's what, that's what Paul's telling us to do. You know, let's not live it up. Let's look after our fellow man. They were giving ways to the idea, enjoy yourself, that is what life is for. And they were going along with people who thought that way. But Paul reminds them, quoting a proverb of that day, bad company ruins good morals. So Paul says, come to your right mind. Begin to face life realistically. Stop kidding yourselves. This is a battle and we have the privilege of living in this time. In this time of history and affecting the world of our day. 
the time is rapidly passing. Make the proper use of it. And Paul closes this section. He says, excuse me, for some are even professing to be Christians and have no real knowledge of God at all because they are living just like everyone around them. For some are even professing to be Christians and have no real knowledge of God at all because they are living just like everyone around them. We're Christian people. We have to set ourselves apart. We are different. We are different to the world out there. And we have to show that we're different. We have to show that we love and care for each other. We can love and care for our enemies. It's not always easy. But that's what, that's what Jesus instructs us to do. That's what Jesus calls us and commands us to do. Love each other. Love your fellow man. What an incredible world it could be if everybody lived by that. It would be utopia. But people don't. We don't. I just want to finish with this note. Paul says... We are not the creatures of time. We are immortal beings. When we gather at the throne of God, the greatest privilege will be... Will, sorry, let me do that again. Paul says, we are not creatures of time. We are immortal beings. When we gather at the throne of God, the greatest privilege we will claim for ourselves is that we have the opportunity to labour for his name's sake here in this life. Brothers and sisters, take note and make the most of it. Being in God, being embracing God, coming here, this, this is what, it, it, it's not all about just being here on a Sunday morning. It's about a lifestyle. I don't know about you, but my, I, I, um, I, I, you know, I've told you many times, I've been involved in church for, for a long, long time. And it wasn't until I was in my mid-20s, sort of or late-20s even, that sort of penny really did drop for me. And, uh, and I had my own business, and we, we did, you know, I mean, I'm not saying life's been dead easy, because it, it's been a struggle at times, um, as, as we all face the struggle in life. But we didn't really have any true worries, you know, we didn't have any true worries. And then when I, when I started really engaging in church and, and, and really understood what difference that God and Jesus Christ in our lives makes to us, it, it, I just, it just, it's like now I'm, I feel more fulfilled in life than, than I ever have done in life. I've, do, I've done all sorts in life, but I just, I love doing what I do now. And it might sound like a bit of a cliche with a collar on, but it's just being able to engage with people, telling them about Jesus Christ, letting them know what a difference he makes in them life. How we get people to understand that, that's, that's the hard bit in it. You know, as Christians, we can sit here and we know what a difference Jesus Christ can make. How do we go out and tell that? You know, I do believe that we do it by showing other people around us how much we love and care for each other, how much we love and care for our community. But what a difference it makes. It really does for me in my life. And I, I don't know if I'm going to, I don't know which way I'm going to go, do I? At death, I'd like to think I'm going. But none of us really know, do we? If I'm honest, you know. But that's the whole point of this. Jesus, resurrection, what for us? If we believe in the Messiah, if we live or to the best of our ability as the Messiah asks us to, go, to do, then we're more likely to go up there than we are down there. You know? And that's what Jesus calls to do. And we're going to get it wrong. We're going to fail all the time. But I said this other night, I said this to somebody the other day, the whole point of sin and confession is knowing when you've got it wrong. If you know when you've got it wrong, then, you, you know, then you've got that hope because then you can do something about it. You know, it's, it's those people, unfortunately, that don't know that they're sinning. It's a way of life for them. 
are getting out there and living attitude. I've rambled on enough, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the glorious truth of Christ's resurrection from the dead. And that because he lives, we too raise to life immortal. No mind can imagine what it costs you to send your beloved son into the world to be the sacrifice for us. For us here today at Christ Church, to be the sacrifice for sin and what it cost Christ to lay aside his glory, to come to earth as a perfect and sinless man, yet be to, to be rejected by those that he came to serve, the fact he was crucified as a criminal, so that we could be saved by faith in him. Father, thank you that he died for me. Thank you that he died for the people here this morning. But more importantly, thank you that Jesus rose again and became the first fruit from the grave. Thank you that Jesus is established as the central head of your new creation, the head of our church. All honour and glory and mighty Majesty belong to you for this, for the goodness and the grace. And brothers and sisters, just remember the words from today's passage. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So we want to praise his holy name. In Christ our Lord. Amen.